allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho, Ho, H to the O-V. I used to move snowflakes by the O-Z. I guess even back then you can call me CEO on the R-O-C. Ho, fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I'll be the music man's number one supplier. Flyer in a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, Ho, Ho. But similar to them letters, no one could do it better. I check chatter like a food inspector. My homie Strick told me, dude, finish your break. What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm into like like a T to the I'm a, why can't I get my show name right these days welcome to another episode of the I'm into like a TIS podcast with your host yours truly Jai Shields here on this football Friday lots to do lots to talk about here on this weekend show urinating tree the one and only YouTuber extraordinaire uh from the uh, 413 over in Pittsburgh will join us to uh, recap the uh, Titans and Packers game from last night. Titans take care of business uh, and win by a 10-27-17 over the Green Bay Packers and puts the uh, kanash on their 2022 uh, season and their uh, playoff uh, hopes that were dwindling heading into the game on Thursday night. We'll discuss that with him. The Week uh, 11 preview with him coming up a little bit later on in the show in that segment as well. Don't forget the Week 11 picks uh, as well to look forward to here on this Football Friday. But where we will begin is with a little something different, and that is with a little bit of uh, Major League Baseball here to get us going as there's a couple of things I want to get off uh, my chest pertaining to Major League Baseball, and then we will be an MLB-heavy show the or excuse me an NFL heavy show the rest of the program uh just to go through uh some awards here give my two cents on them Paul Goldschmidt uh won MVP in the National League to nobody's surprise there was not really a player that you know you watched and then you say oh wow they are sure no doubt about MVP Manny Machado uh gave uh Goldie a run for his money but kind of tapered off in the back end of the regular season he was hitting well over 300 for the majority of the season and ended up hit, hit finishing with a 298 average Goldie hit 317 hit uh 35 home runs uh nine no excuse me 11 shy of the leading Kyle Schwarber Schwarber hit 46 and Alonzo hit 40 but uh Kyle Schwarber this season was about a two, was a uh, in the regular season uh if you will was a, a 218 hitter Pete Alonzo who hit uh who was right who was second in the National League in home runs he hit 271 so, you know, Goldie, Goldie had the more well-rounded uh, stat sheet, if you will, uh, pertaining to, pertaining to uh, the offensive performance in the National League. He hit uh, 317, third in the National League, was fifth in the National League in home runs with 35, and he was second behind Pete Alonso, 16 RBIs behind Alonso, who Drove in 131 uh, guys on base. Meanwhile, Paul Goldschmidt drove in, came in second, and drove in 115. And his on-base percentage was second behind Freddie Freeman with 404 and led the National League in slugging and led the National League in OPS. So when you lead the National League in slugging, OPS, and kind of, like I said, put together that well-rounded stat sheet of hitting over 300, 
30 or more home runs and over 110 RBIs, you know. And meanwhile, it wasn't like a dyna- a player that really stood out and, and took the league by storm. Like, for, you know, to the likes of Freddie, to the likes of Arenado, his teammate, Machado, like I said, tapered off. He had, a, and Machado only had 102 RBIs, so Goldschmidt's 115. Goldschmidt, without really much argument, you can kind of say damn near that he won the National League MVP award uh, by default. But he gets the, uh, but he takes home the uh, title of National League MVP. American League MVP was Aaron Judge. Came within a, a few points shy of winning a triple crown. Uh, Ar- Arias of the Minnesota Twins ended up winning the batting title, hitting one six. Hitting, excuse me, hitting three sixteen. Judge hit three eleven, but led the league and essentially every major hitting category outside of sto- outside of stolen bases. Uh, outside of stolen bases and hits, he led the league. He led the American League in every single category: stolen bases, Orioles, uh, shortstop, third sh- Orioles infielder Jorge Mateo uh, took that title, leading the American League in stolen bases with 35, and Bo Bichette led the American League in hits with 189. But Judge led in home runs, RBIs, runs. Uh, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS. OPS was 1.1111, slugging percentage 6.66, on-base percentage 4.25. Uh, he scored 133 runs, uh, 131. Excuse, yeah, 131, 133 runs, 131 RBIs. Uh, of course, and he broke gate. He broke uh, Roger Maris. Uh, who previously held the American League and thus the uh, Yankees franchise single-season home run record, and he broke it with 62. Mike Trout came in second with 40 home runs. Alvarez, who was in, who uh, looked like he was going to win the MVP in the first few months of the season, uh, finished in third place with 37. Three, uh, three over Shohei Otani, who finished in fourth with 34 home runs, and Anthony Santander of my Baltimore World switch hitting right fielder came in fifth with 33 tied for uh tied for uh or excuse me tied with i apologize with the rangers uh cory seager so the so judge wins the mvp should and he was two votes away from winning it unanimously he should have won it unanimously in all objectivity uh Shohei Otani, despite what Mike Niosi says, I'm not interested in the fact that he pitches and he hits. The bottom line is that you look at the standings. Aaron Judge and the Yankees won 99 games and won their division, and especially in the second half of the season was a large part because of Aaron Judge's greatness. Meanwhile, the Angels you know, won 73 games, 33 games out of first place, and, they, and their season was essentially over you know, after uh, after June 1st. And they had to fire their manager, uh, Joe Madden, as a result, and don't sit me give me the argument. Well, if he wasn't on the team, they'd lose more than they'd lose a hundred games. That's a that's a you see that's an oxymoron argument. They're the bottom line is that they're a losing team with Shohei Otani on the team, and they're a losing team without him. And valuability, not greatness, not most, not best, not most outstanding, valuable, and valuable meaning valuable to their team's success. It was Aaron Judge, and even the sabermetrical. Uh, analytical stats would back me up on that. Judge blew Otani out the water when it came to war. Blew him out of the water. Not that I look at that. I look at I look at average home runs, RBIs, you know, slugging, OPS, 
and and what and how what and and whether and and the, and the, the teams where the team stacks up in the standings and whether or not they made the playoffs. That's what I that's my criteria of looking at who wins the MVP and who doesn't. Even in the sabermetrical aspect of things, Otani couldn't hold a candle to what Aaron Judge did, especially when he goes out there and he cleanly does something that hasn't been done in the American League since the '60s, and that's with the single season home run record. Which uh, which I found to be impressive. Alcandra and uh, Verlander, unanimous uh, AL and National League Cy Young Award winners, respectively, in their own right. Congratulations to them, without a shadow of a doubt. Alcandra, one of the best the best pitcher in the National League uh, this season. I give you uh, his I give you Alcandra's uh, numbers uh, here in a minute. He was second in the he was second in National League in ERA with a two point two eight ERA. He didn't he only was able to muster though fourteen wins. I understand in this day and age of baseball, you know it's wins doesn't wins don't hold the same weight as it did thirty years ago. But he led the National League in complete games with is with six, which in today's twenty twenty two. Uh, base which in today's 2022 MLB baseball speaks volumes when you when you're a good starting pitcher with a top two ERA and you lead the National League in complete games and by a good little margin he had six to Aaron Nola who only finished with two in in a, in a sport that's dominated by the bullpen where the game is 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 uh, is th- where the game is in the hands of the bullpen from innings roughly you can even say innings five through nine. And for him to go out there and lead the league by a landslide in complete games with six, that it, that my friend speaks. As, you know, back in the day, it back in the day everybody threw a complete game, and it was more emphasis on wins. Now the, you can I, be my guess as a baseball fan that if you go out there and you and you put and you put together a performance where your ERA is under two point five and you lead the National League of complete games. More times than not, you're going to be a strong candidate for winning the uh, Cy Young Award. Wins don't matter, but in a way they kind of do. If you go out there and throw complete games, and out of the uh, and out of the 14 wins that Alcantara had, six of them he was able to go the distance, which which speak which again says a lot pitching in 2022 baseball. But he led the league at, and by as a result, he also led the league at uh, in innings pitched and came in second. In the National League, it was in ERA at two point two eight, and he was fourth in the National League in strikeouts, striking out two hundred, and uh, striking out two hundred and seven batters. And then Verlander, who many people thought would never pitch again, went out there and had a Renaissance season. One point seven five ERA led the led the American League in wins with eighteen, and in ERA also led the league in WHIP. With a 0.83, with a 0.83 uh, walks plus hits per innings pitched, and then he also had the uh, American League's best opponents batting average, with opponents hitting 186 against Justin Verlander uh, this season. And Verlander, obviously, the only category, major categories he didn't lead in was uh, was innings pitch, and that was his teammate Framal Framer Valdez, who led the uh, league in innings pitched with uh, 201 innings and a third, and uh, who and led the American League complete games with three. And uh, Garrett Cole, 
uh, who led the American League with 257 strikeouts, and Verlander only had 185, but led the league in ERA, wins, whip, and opponent's batting average. He sure doubt, no doubt about it, uh, American League Cy Young for the 2022 MLB season. So I got no quibbles with any of the awards. People, you know, were saying how how is it how does Jorge Mateo not win the uh, not win a Gold Glove uh, not win a Gold Glove at third base this year? Here's the bottom line when you, when it comes to the Gold Glove, and I will be a contrarian, you know, with uh, with uh, with uh, my opinion here on this genuine opinion, but it's the contrarian one as as a lot of Orioles fans were up in arms. How does Jorge Mateo not win the Gold Glove MVP third base? Well, I'd explain you how. When he's tied, when he's tied for fourth with Seager in errors, you can't win the MVP. When I go to the when I go to the player stat sheet, and I and Jorge Mateo's name is is at the very top, but is like the first ten names, and I see Jorge Mateo's name, that's the problem. You can't you can't win a gold glove, folks, and be top ten, top fifteen, top five in airs. You you just you just can't. I understand. You know he made some absolutely ridiculous plays that were Manny Machado, uh, Brooks Robinson esque, but it's the consistency. You know he'll he'll make a he'll 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 go to he'll field a ball against the against his body and somehow whip a ball with his arm strength and whip it over the first base to Mancini or Mountcastle, the first base, and he'll, and he'll, and he'll you know, and he'll be top five sports center, top 10 or whatever. And then the very next play, he'll get a ball hit to him, routine ground ball, and he'll kick it all over the place. And a guy reaches and a guy reaches on a fielding air. Or he, or he, or he isn't slick with the ball and taking it out of his hands. on the, It's, it's the inconsistency. He had bright spots, and then right after that, or in games after that, or hell, in innings after that, he looks like he's never played, you know, the third, the shortstop or the third baseman position before. So a lot of people had issues with that, and a lot of people had an issue with Brandon Hyde not winning, uh, not winning Manager of the Year this year. He won it via Sporting News. I guess there's two separate awards. There's the one that sticks with the Baseball Writers Association. There's one that I guess Sporting News gives out. And Sporting News gave him Manager of the Year, and the Baseball Writers did not. They gave it to uh, to uh, Terry Francona. I get the fact that he that at least one organization recognized them. I guess I, I'm not as up in arms. Because one organization that gives out a Manager of the Year award gave Hyde the recognition, recognition, and the more uh, superior one did not. I can't moan and groan. I can't bitch and scream. You know, I, do I find that Hyde got jobbed and that he should have won it? Yes, hundred percent, absolutely. Uh, was he more deserving of the award? Yes. I mean, he did something that hasn't been done in the history of the sport. You know, in well over a hundred years. Well, a whole, a well over 110 years. To be quite, to be quite frank with you, a team that loses 100, uh, loses over 110 games in one season, and then turns around and wins 80 and wins 80 plus games the next. The, the, the not the season at not two seasons in between one. 
not not even one in between. Back to back loses a hundred plus a hundred and ten plus in twenty twenty one, and then comes back the next season and by and what was by far the be- not even debate the best division in the American League this past baseball season. And he goes out there, doesn't finish in last place, avoids last place by by five games, edging out the Red Sox. Wins o- wins over. 60 games, 70 games, 80 games, gets the Orioles to finish above 500 for the first time in six years, wins 83 games, doesn't lose 80 games. That's another thing, too. Not only did he win more than 70, win the 81 to qualify, finish above 500, and win the 82 to finish above 500, they avoided losing 80 games, something that also the Orioles franchise uh, ha- that the Orioles franchise has not done since 2016. Wins 83, wins 83 games, finishes with one of the be- finishes with one of the better records in the American League. Uh, in the American League at home, the Yankees had the best record at home at 57 and 24. The uh, Astros came right by, were right behind them at 55 and 26. Uh, and the uh, and then third was third was Tampa with one fifty one, then Toronto, then Seattle, and then the Orioles, and then or excuse me, then Minnesota, and then the Orioles. Then you can fit, fat, fill in the uh, blanks down the line. Yes, they collapsed. Yes, they collapsed in September. Yes, they couldn't find a way to beat the Blue Jays. Yes, Brandon Hyde's bullpen managing was dubious, and he did wear out Jose Bautista in the back end of the season. That's all. That's all fair. That's all well and granted. And I've made the point and made the argument many a times that Brandon Hyde is just as much as the reason for the Orioles winning eighty-three games as he was the reason why the Orioles didn't play past October the fifth on that Wednesday afternoon against Toronto, and they failed on missing the postseason, and the Rays instead went in their place. And they came within, if you want to check the stands, go back in the time machine, they missed the playoffs by three games. And I can think of three games against Tampa right off the top of my head that they should have won and that they didn't. You can go back to, you can go back, uh, you can go back in July when they lost, when they lost the series to them after the uh, 10 game winning streak. And I can certainly think of the series and weekend series in August where they blew out the Rays in game one on a Friday night, and then their bats just didn't, sh- didn't, didn't show up, and their pitching was dubious, and they lost 6-2 on a Saturday afternoon. And then McClanahan had a per- I think I think it was a perfect game going, if I'm not mistaken, headed into the uh, top of the ninth inning. Had the Ori- was mowing the Orioles down one two three one two three couldn't couldn't hit a baseball with an oar and then all and then they got themselves a little bit of a rally but then came up just short in a in a game that the Orioles had to have because it was the seer it was the season finale against Tampa and if they got into a tiebreak with them for wild card the Rays would edge out the Orioles uh, because they would own the tiebreaker so there's a, there's a, there's quite a few games that the or and the Orioles had had have had trouble. In continue to have trouble not to mention getting sweat and it's and it may be if you don't even want to count the series that get you know losing the series to them in july heading into the all-star break or the bad series against august in august where they needed a tiebreaker it's cruel it's harsh that's the, the way the baseball season goes if you don't even want to count that one and give them the benefit of the doubt you know first time playing pennant chase baseball deep into the summer okay fine you know what did them in not did them in, but you know what you could also look back on how the on the fact that on on, on ways that the Orioles missed the playoffs. 
Because cause you forget, T- Tampa ended the season losing eight out of the last ten games and, and entered the postseason that wild card series against Cleveland on a five-game losing streak. You want to know what? Not not even the uh, bad the bad games against Toronto at home. You know you remember how the Orioles opened up the twenty twenty two regular season, getting swept by Tampa. Three game weekend series sweep to open up the season. How many games did they did they uh, miss out on the playoffs by? What was what what was the uh, differential in wins and losses with them in Tampa? Three games. Tampa won 86 games. The Orioles won 83. That's baseball, Susan. But I, but it's, it's Hyde should have won it. I, without even, I, I, I mean, I understand Terry Francona, everybody likes him and they somehow found a way to win 92 games. Win it. But the, the bottom line is that could you really reward Terry Francona? Somebody had to win that division. The White Sox are up and down, inconsistent as hell, not to mention injured from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. The Minnesota Twins faded faded late in the season in in August, in, uh, in the month of August. Detroit, everybody thought they were essentially were the, the Detroit Tigers. In essence, at least I predicted that the Tigers were going to have the season that the Orioles had this year and they ended up going right back to the bottom of the uh, AL Central toilet. They lost 96 games and then the Kansas City uh the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Royals rebuilding. They lost 97 games finishing last place. So you had an inconsistent team that was a mess and was injured, a team that fell off in the month of August with two teams that were one one of the two teams underachieved and the other one was destined to finish in last place when the season began on April 8th. I mean, somebody had to win that division of mid, and that's what the American League Central is. He said, okay, going to reward Terry Francona for winning that weak division, 92-70, and 70, uh, by 11 games. I mean, come on. It was, compared, to, compared to a manager that, that did something that no, that no other manager has done in uh, over 110 years in the history of the sport, probably maybe more than that. Hadn't been done in well over a century. Generations have gone by. Since the last time a team did something that the Orioles did, and that's lose over 110 games in one season, and then come back and win 80 plus the next, and they missed the playoffs by three games, not 12 or 15, three, where you could literally go up and down the schedule and say, well, if they swept, would have swept this team, or they would have took two out three against this team and won one game here, or where they would have say, split with Toronto in September on Labor Day and did this and that and this and that, and they, then they probably would have made the playoffs. Think about it. If nothing else in a regular season changes outside the fact that, that the Orioles sweep Tampa to begin the season, they might have played Cleveland in the first round. If nothing else in regular season changes outside of the fact that the three games the Orioles lose to start the season, they win, they are probably in the playoffs. And they probably, and by, and by as a result, they probably win the season series as well, which is fascinating. But Hyde should have won it. And, and one of the things about the manager of the year, if you want to argue anything, how the hell does Aaron Boone get any votes? First place, second place, fifth place, seventh place. I don't care. How the hell does Aaron Boone get any votes for manager of the year when his team was awful in the second half of the season? Awful.
Then on the National League side, Buck won it. You can make an argument, Buck show what I... Because it is a regular season award, not a postseason, I... You can make the argument that Buck didn't deserve to win manager of the year. You you could because because of the fact that the, that his team blew I understand they won a lot of games with men with many an injury and they were the best team in baseball well, you know, up until September came, but they did blow the division lead. I mean, they were supposed to run away and hide with the NL East and the Braves came came back from the dead and took the and took the division from them on the last regular season of the year in early October. So I I, I probably I love Buck and congratulations for him for winning yet another manager of the year award in another decade with another ball club. He's won it in nine he won it in the nineties with he's won it in the nineties, the two thousands, the two thousand tens and now the twenty twenties. But me personally, I would have. I would. You Snit could deserve the award. It's an Amer. It's and it's a uh, and it's a regular season award anyway. The Braves come back from the dead and stealing division from the Mets, albeit via tiebreaker. But stealing stealing the division from the Mets has to account. To, has to account to something, no. As far as opt outs are concerned, Verlander opts out. Be interesting to see where he lands. Uh, you can make the argument because of the fact that he's pitched so little in the last few seasons, dating back to the 2020 COVID year, that he does that uh, that uh, that he owed the Astros a little bit of loyalty. You could, but then again, it's a renaissance. He's 40 years of age. This is like his last opportunity for him to get the big paycheck before he retires within the next few seasons. One would imagine he wants to go out there and test the market. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where he goes and if my Orioles would be in play to bring uh, Justin Verlander uh, to Baltimore. The Diamondbacks uh, land a trade for uh, Kyle Lewis, adding a right-handed hitter to the outfield mix. Uh, uh, There's another uh, trade that went down this week that I want to... uh, to, Before I can scream about to close out the segment with with Arlington getting the 2024 All-Star game, which is a joke. Uh, and then of course there was a big time trade with the Mariners, uh, with getting, uh, Teoscar, uh, with getting Teoscar, uh, Hernandez from the, uh, getting Teoscar Hernandez from the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. That's the build up their, uh, build up their lineup. The, uh, Blue Jays got a reliever, Eric Swanson, and a minor leaguer, Adam Matko, who was ranked as Seattle's eighth best, eight, number eight prospect in the MLB pipeline. Uh, the Mariners went out there and made that trade simply to boost up their bats and to boost their offense. They could not hit whatsoever, and you saw that, uh, in <laughs> courtesy of their game, of their final act, uh, in game three of the ALDS against Houston, where they couldn't muster up a hit in two games worth of innings, 18 innings worth of baseball, and they couldn't hit against that, uh, elite Houston Astros starting pitching, uh, so they went out there and got a bat, I got no problems with that. Hernandez in the regular season hit a 267, 25 home runs, 77 RBIs, and finished with an 807 uh, OPS. Uh, now, real quick about this, uh, and it'll be interesting to see where Degrom goes in the off season. There'll be plenty of time for us to uh, play the hot stove game 
with the uh, with these upcoming free agents in Major League Baseball and where Judge goes and this, that, and the other. Uh, what I'm interested in uh, and what I find in- interesting is something for me to scream about uh, when it comes to the baseball news this offseason is how in the hell do the are, do the Texas Rangers get awarded the 20 what year is it 2026 2024 all-star game how in the hell do the Texas Rangers get awarded the 2020 what six it's got to be six right the, no excuse me the 2024 how the hell does major league baseball award the Rangers the 2024 MLB all-star game how so so so, and by the Gio Urshela, by the way, traded to the uh, traded to the Angels, and the Angels also picked up, uh, also pick up um, uh, Anderson, the uh, starting pitcher from the uh, from the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers this year as well, uh, and the Yankees also bring back IKF on a one year six million dollar con- IKF who was who was did not have a memorable in a good sense season postseason with the New York Yankees last month and the Yankees are gonna bring back IKF. He was one of the guys that the Yankees were supposed to cut bait with. And instead they bring him back. Oh my God. Oh Cashman, 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 Cashman. But anyway, um going back to you how does i don't understand i understand you can sit up there and say well it's major league baseball punishing the orioles and punishing the angelosis for this ongoing pissing match with masson with the uh with the washington with the washington nationals first of all i never knew that i mean major league baseball could take it upon themselves to to punish a franchise for for a war that they're ha- for a little uh financial war that they're that they're having with a uh with another team that's the first thing second thing why does so you're going i i mean it's not like in a scenario where angelos is like um like angelos is like dan snyder or whatever and he's being sued and he's got lawsuits all over the place and bad reputation and known as a bad guy as far as how he's ran his franchise cheap yes has he you know pissed on people and pissed on relationships and been a difficult owner in that aspect absolutely but i don't but he hasn't done something where you can pinpoint and say ah you know there's sexual misconduct in the workplace or there's racism or homophobia or uh or 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 sexism going on under his watch you you don't get i i a no a i haven't heard it if there is such and b this doesn't exist within the franchise, so I don't understand. Well, because you're getting into a pissing match with Nassin, Mass with the Nationals over the Masson stuff. You what? So the city, so one of the best top five, arguably t- top five, hell, top three best ballpark in the sport that just turned thirty years old this past uh, spring and summer. You, you're gonna punish the Baltimorean. You're gonna fun- punish the Baltimorean baseball fan, and you're gonna punish. Essentially, ownership in the franchise, uh, ownership in the franchise for not bringing the bringing the All Star game to Baltimore. Help the Angelos's forget disputes with the Nationals. They got their they got their own issues within their own damn family and organization. You know, with 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 the two brothers not getting along and and suing each and suing each other off the books. 
you know, for for control of the franchise and whether or not you know they want to uh, they want to put the team up for sale. So you're going to punish the Angel the Angelos and, and essentially the Baltimore Orioles and a Baltimore baseball fan uh, for not putting the all. They've had one All Star game here in their 30 years of existence. And that was in '93, which was which will be 30 years ago next next uh, next summer. To put the, the, I understand new stadium, but I mean, really, if the damn thing looks like a looks like a carbon copy of uh, looks like a carbon copy of Chase Field for goodness sakes. And we're gonna put the, I, I, I do not get it. I don't. The thing, the damn thing look, looks like a carbon copy of of Chase Field and uh, Marlins Park put together. And we're gonna put a, and we're gonna put a game in a, where they're gonna have the damn roof close, which I can't stand. And play the game on on field turf, which I also hate. Bring the damn thing to Camden Yards. What the hell is taking you so long? Get, get, give Baltimore something to be wrapped up in. Something uh, I understand. We're going to have a good season this year, uh, next season, Lord willing, hopefully. But I just I I don't get it to to bring it to Arlington, Texas. A team that a team that once the All Star game is out of there will be you know they'll be more wrapped up in Dallas Cowboys training camp and local high school football. That's, that state is is football heaven down there. I mean, well, I understand they brought in Bochi and they're going to be in the Aaron Judge and. Uh, and Trey Turner sweepstakes and everything else, but I, I do, and the Degrom as well, and they're going to spend money. They spent a boatload on Simeon and and uh, and Seager in the previous off season, but it just does might not make any sense to me whatsoever. Bringing the damn thing down to Arlington, Texas. No, who in the hell wants to watch a home run derby play uh, uh, done indoors? You don't want to see people try to conquer the wall in left field or. Or try to uh, find a way to do something that has been done since Griffey did it 30 years ago and hit the warehouse. Charm City. With, with I mean, is, you, People can crap on Baltimore all you want, and there's plenty of reasons to. But let me tell you something right now from many, many, many personal experience. There is no better city to be in during the summer months from May to September. Even October it isn't bad. From May to September than Baltimore. There is no other city quite like Baltimore. Now that now I'm being obviously subject to hyperbole a little bit when I say this, but Baltimore is when it comes to cities on the East Coast, the coastal cities along with Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Miami, Tampa. There's one of no better Charlotte. One of no better. Well, not Charlotte's not a coastal city, but you get the idea. No better city on the East Coast in the summertime than both in than than in Baltimore. None. The weather's fantastic. The weather's it's humid, but the weather's sensational. You know, you every single time you go out to eat to a restaurant, you you know you 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 always want to find a place sitting on the water. I mean, it's it's uh, it's heavenly. This it's heavenly during the summer months. Heavenly, but the city is at its absolute peak and best during the summertime. And right smack dab in the middle of July is like it's it, the city glows for God's sakes. 
And with the Orioles being good, I guarantee I put it to you like this: If me and Chris Russo decide to go to another game from 2023 onward, we won't be able to walk up to the box office to find four, to, to find uh, three tickets right 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 uh, right behind the third base dugout. Pull up, you know, an hour, ninety minutes before before first pitch, and and find prime seats right behind the third base dugout. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you, but it's it's a joke. Anyway, going on a little bit too long. Take a break. Yearning tree standing by. This is the Amatelica TIS podcast. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Joining me now, YouTuber extraordinaire covers the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, and a little college football on the side. Pittsburgh's finest and greatest, our resident Yenzer, the one and only urinating tree. What's going on, pal? Good to have you back. How you doing? Uh, good to be back, man. Just, uh, just busy. That's all I could say, man. Just uh, can't believe it's already a week before Thanksgiving, but I mean, this whole year's been a blur, so I just roll with it. It's 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 honestly been a blur since September. It's hard to believe we're right at the Thanksgiving holiday as well. Uh, let's jump right into it with the game last night. The Tennessee Titans beating the uh, Green Bay Packers. Derrick Henry is a complete stud. Is is one of the the best running back hands down in all of football, and arguably fair to say the best running back that this 21st century NFL has ever seen. 27-17 Titans. Uh, Ryan Tannehill played well, only five incompletions, threw for 333 passing yards, two touchdowns, averaged about 12 yards of pass play. Uh, meanwhile, the Green Bay Packers, it was a quick uh, snap back to reality for them, if you will, coming off of their overtime comeback victory against the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. So so give me your thoughts on uh, the game last night and uh, are the Green Bay Packers finished? They might be. Um, at this point, you're four and seven. You needed this win. I mean, you dug yourself into a hole with losses to Washington and Detroit. You gave up over 300 yards passing to a Todd Downing offense. Just let that soak in for a second. This is the second worst passing attack in the NFL. And to be fair, Malik Willis was starting a couple of those games. But that is absolutely unacceptable, even with the injuries in the Packers like defense. You really missed Eric Stokes in this game. Quay Walker went out of the game as well. No Rashawn Gary. It was just a different class of team. One seemed like they were prepared to play. The other just wasn't. Even the Packers offense like had flashes of like success. Brilliant. But in the yeah. second, yeah, in the second half of play, they just <clears throat> died. And it's, unfortunately, yeah. it's just like for the Green Bay Packers, it's pretty much done because you still have Philadelphia next week. You have mm -hmm. Miami and you also have Minnesota again on the docket, not to mention another game or two you might upset. So you probably go four and two at best. And eight and nine, I don't know if that's going to cut it. It's not. I mean, when you look at the teams that they have to jump, they, with their loss last night, that drops them all the way down to the 11th uh, spot in the NFC. They have, now granted, the Cardinals and Falcons are not very good, but look at all these other teams that currently hold wildcard spots or is just a spot on the outside looking in. Washington, who's at the eight, 
who's at five and five, Washington mm-hmm. as a tiebreaker over Green Bay. Yes. San Francisco, they haven't played yet, but San Francisco could all ob- and all objectivity could end up winning winning the divisions, and it yes. might not even be a problem. The Cowboys, obviously, aforementioned who they played on Sunday, are mm-hmm. six and three. Obviously, the Cowboys have tiebreaker over Green Bay there, and then the Giants, who hold the five spot at seven and two, actually, Packers have tiebreaker over the Cowboys because they won last week. Oh, yeah, that's right. I got that back. I mean, I don't worry. I, I thought did, they were going to win, too. But, like, I, I mean, I I mean I, it's a Mike McCarthy team. You blew a 14-point lead. I mean, he's used to doing that at Lambeau, so. Yeah. How did I make that I, mistake? I, I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I think we all want to forget the point where Green Bay suddenly randomly beat Dallas because, I mean, you expect to ride that momentum into right. a game with Tennessee and then, nope. Yeah, that was, that's a huge mistake on my part. How in the hell did I miss oh, that? Oh, no, it happens, dude. It happens. But, uh, but the primary point is that the commanders who hold the eight are five and five, and the commanders hold a tiebreaker over Green Bay's heads. And the Giants, who have the five seed at seven and two, they also hold a tiebreaker over Green Bay head to head. So it's, it's, it's too much ground to make up and too late of the season. And even if they would, and even if they would have won last night, I still would have been like, okay, great. You're still not making the playoffs because the they're going to put them. Oh, sorry. The, the AFC, NFC is still kind of weak. So you could see the argument there. Um, like looking at their schedule, you have the Eagles who are next week. It's going to be a really tough game Sunday night. You also have Chicago, who's been relatively upstart. Justin Fields has really shown something this past month. The L.A. Rams, that's probably your most winnable game because they are shot to hell. The Dolphins on Christmas. So that's going to be a rough game to go to. Minnesota on New Year's Day, another rough game. And then the Lions for the final game of the year. And unfortunately, that should be a winnable game, but we saw what happened a couple weeks ago. Absolutely, they scored nine points against the Leeds' worst defense. But the mm-hmm. Packers, the Packers have done. The Packers are finished. Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it might it might be sacrilege for me saying this, but Aaron Rodgers is washed outside of the outside of the uh, the game against uh, Dallas on Sunday. Can you find me one game where Aaron Rodgers looked like his back to back MVP self? He's missing no. wide open receivers. He's overthrowing guys. It's, 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 you just look, watch games that he plays and you just go, Bleh. it like, it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. 24 for 39, 227. It's just, just not good enough. And they don't run. They were, you thought they were going to be on a little hot streak of them running the football. And then, and then Aaron Jones gets 12 carries, 40 yards, averages three yards to carry. AJ Dillon, nowhere to be found. So it's like it, they they started out the season not being able to run the football, had a nice little three-week period where they were able to run it sustainably well. And then last night, it was like they had, again, like you said, a couple of bright moments, but it, their offense was just it's, it's unacceptable. And the worst part about the Aaron Rodgers situation, he is looking pretty cooked. I mean, his ball is a little – he's starting to slip a little bit, but they did extend him this past offseason – because yeah. you have a new deal kicking in next year, so you can't move him. That year's guaranteed. And then 24 is injury guaranteed. I'm looking this up from Albert Breer because I was just curious to see how that contract goes. So you might be stuck with him for the next two seasons, and you still don't know what Jordan Love is. Yeah. So at this yeah. point, you might be at the situation where you have to start Jordan Love if the season's over just to see what you have. Yeah, I it's – 
it's a mess. They should, honestly, in all objectivity, they should. You hindsight's twenty twenty, but you they should have cut bait after the 49er loss in January. Mm. That, because, I mean, in hindsight, you should have traded them to Denver. Yeah, it'd be Denver's probably. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of uh, the Packers and their game against the Cowboys on Sunday, you know, whatever it is, it, it's just I've I don't know how you feel about it, but I've had enough of Dak Prescott. It's just I really, really have. It's like I've never seen a quarterback get talked up and get hyped up and get get so much praise for just being mere average. I mean, the fact that he's got the worst completion percentage on third and fourth down to the likes of Tim Tebow since 2011. I mean, this is the guy that's just getting this one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the sport. I mean, he he wasted a strip sack of fumble at his defense, got him last week. He throws a stu- he throws a horrendous interception that led to a Green Bay touchdown to tie the game up at seven apiece. Mm-hmm. And then he has miscommunication with CeeDee Lamb over the middle on a third and 10. He throws interception there, and it allows Green Bay to get the ball in ideal field position and march down the field and take the lead. They blew a 28-14 lead. The, in the history of the Dallas Cowboy franchise, prior to last Sunday, they had never blown a double, di- a fourteen point or more lead, uh, heading into the fourth quarter. It's just, it's, it's just unacceptable. Any single time you put, uh, you put uh, a standard and you heighten expectation with this football team, every single time they they perform like they perform like garbage as a result. And Mike McCarthy's had an excellent season, uh, excellent season up until last Sunday. He reverts to 2021 form and decides to go for it on a fourth and two in field goal range in overtime. Absolutely no sense. What What is your uh, state? And it's also funny, you know, when Dak's been, since Dak's been back, this defense has kind of slipped a little bit. And, and can we find Micah Parsons, Mr. Uh, Mr. 21st century Lawrence Taylor? Micah Parsons apparently only had one pro quarterback pressure last weekend. So that's more on Josh Neiman doing a good job of containing him. He's been feasting on right tackles all season. Dak, uh, it's a strange situation because Dallas had no choice but to extend him. If you remember 2020, they were bad without Dak. And every time you saw the likes of Andy Dalton and Garrett Gilbert, although Garrett Gilbert did decent in his game against Pittsburgh and Ben DiNucci, Yes, they Dak was just saying, pay up, pay up. And you know what? They paid up. And unfortunately, you're starting to see the consequences there. I think he's a solid QB, but it's like Tony Romo syndrome. He's elevated to a greater level because he's the Dallas Cowboy. And it drives me crazy. Yeah. I, mean, I, hate, I, mean, it. I hate it. Speaking of like, I mean, it is weird you say, oh, they go for it on fourth and fourth down. But my concern is your third and three. Why aren't you running the ball? Because if you knew you were going Dallas to go for it. dominated them with the running ball. Yeah, they were dominating the running game. Tony Pollard's a beast, and Zeke Elliott is still, you know, he's overused, but he's still Zeke. So you why not him. use them yeah. trying to create? I know Dallas is going to bitch about the pass interference, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, that doesn't result in you blowing a 14 point lead and your defense being really, really suspect. Absolutely. Uh, do you, is, do you see a scenario in your head where the Cowboys, uh, do, do you see them in a scenario of them being cause last week to start my show towards the season's halfway point, I named, uh, I think I named six teams in the AFC and four teams in the NFC that can win a Super Bowl. 
and I included Dallas in being that fourth team, and then they go ahead on Sunday and, and produce that shit. Do you see the Dallas Cowboys being in the class of the Eagles and the Vikings as Super Bowl contender in the NFC? Uh, no, I do not right now, just because they haven't really had a statement win per se. If uh, let me look up their schedule real quick, because if they, it, if it accounts to anything, just relatively easier teams. Like I mean, they beat the Bengals, but they was mostly because I mean. Since he was dealing with some early woes, and Zach Taylor's an yeah, idiot, yeah, they beat the Giants, but like, I mean, the Giant, I mean, that was early Giants. The Rams are overrated. I mean, they've fallen apart. The Commanders, eh, you beat the Lions, the Bears, which you had trouble dispatching Justin Fields, and then you lose to the Packers. There's no real statement win here, right. Yeah, I this week will be very telling because you're playing the Vikings. Oh, absolutely. If you beat the Vikings, you can now reemerge yourself into that conversation. If you don't, you're going to be that team you, like they always have been a great regular, a good, very good to great regular season team. And then they fizzle apart come January. And it's always funny with the Dallas Cowboys because this is the time of year every single year where their season starts to go to hell. Right around Thanksgiving holiday time is when they start farting around. And the next thing you know, the new year comes. And then playoff time, and it's their season just goes straight to hell, and it's absolutely absolutely enjoyable uh, to see. Uh, mm -hmm. Sticking with the NFC East, the Washington Commanders of all teams knocked off the previously undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. What is your takeaways from that game? And do you think th there's a chance for the Commanders to make a, a late season push to steal the seventh seed? Possibly if, I mean, the commanders had a really solid offensive game plan. If you look at their stats, they dominated two thirds of possession over 40 minutes. Their, their plan was to keep the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hands. And it worked because Philly self-destructed in a few instances, a couple fumbles, even though one was a missed face mask. You also had a situation where one of them was a last second turnover, but they only had three turnovers on the year before this game. They had four in one single game. And unfortunately you lose when you turn the ball over like that and only have 20 minutes of possession. So credit to Washington. Like, I don't know if they're going to really go far, but they had a really solid game plan, both offensively and defensively. So there's not much you could say there. Philly needed that punch in the mouth to really reset them because I mean, mm -hmm. if you run around like dominant, it's just going to bite you in the end. And Washington possibly could, go on a deep run. Their next two games are against the Texans and the Falcons. You right. could easily be seven and five. And then you have a matchup with the Giants, which will be your telling game. But it's a situation where they technically could control their own destiny. Strange as it sounds. Uh, it's it, it's crazy. because And it just goes to show, you know, and this is a team, not the organization, the team itself the, you know, the players and the coaches that have to deal with and tolerate. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Because in the back, I'm hearing like static. I hope I'm just not breaking up. Ah, um, but with the commanders, the, with the players and the coaches, they're always dealing with something. Dan Snyder and his foolishness, you know, they had the nerve, the chutzpah, the audacity to drag Brian Robinson 
into their uh, like counter statement to them getting uh, sued by the uh, by the D.C. attorney general. It's uh, it's just always a mess. And yet they, for whatever the reason, are just able just to shut out the noise and just go out there and just play football. They had an excellent game plan. Scott Turner, they ran the football tremendously well. Controlled the clock, kept uh, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense on the sideline. Taylor Heineke, who isn't a great quarterback, but a very, very good backup and a damn good game manager as well. Plays within his means, didn't play hero ball. He only made the one mistake throwing the interception to double coverage in the second half. And he play action pass, work the bootleg and find Terry McLaurin downfield and chuck it to him. And he'll come down with it nine times out of 10 because McLaurin is one of the more underrated wide receivers in the National Football League. Uh, and then with yeah. the Eagles and then with the Eagles side, you know, it, they were bound to lose. You saw how they slept walk mm-hmm. through the Texans game. They were slow, lethargic, didn't have any energy. And you just saw that the writing was on the wall that they, although they had an easy schedule on paper for them to go 17 and 0, you knew that they were going to lose and get picked off by one of those teams. And I said heading into this game that Washington was probably going to be the team that was going to get them because of the fact that, because how, first off, Washington does play well against teams that nobody expects them to beat. They they beat the Packers earlier this year. Last year, Tampa Bay came into their building in a regular season, and they and they and they beat them by I believe two scores. So commanders do what they take. They play that underdog role really really well in these type of games. They knock when the Steelers were undefeated two years ago in the COVID year. They went on the road in that game that was played on a Monday at like five o'clock in the afternoon. They walked into Heinz Field and they kicked and they kicked the Steelers' tail. So they they do mm-hmm. very well playing underneath playing with that underdog moniker and the Eagles it's, it's just sloppy beating themselves turn over the football Miles Sanders only got I believe got one carry in the first half uh Nick Sirianni one of the worst coach games that he's had with the Eagles this season turnovers all over the place zone defense allowing the uh the Washington wide receivers to get to get open to extend plays the uh, many of third down conversions on Washington's part. I think they'll bounce back. And I agree with you. This is like the, you know, the medicine and the treatment that they needed, but you know, from a standpoint of Philadelphia, you didn't play your best game. You still had chances to win it and you didn't. Absolutely. Correct. That's just what it, that's just all it comes down to. Uh, and there's one other game I wanted to uh, touch on. Not really a game, but, but well, here, here, this is what, this is what I'll do. Who do you think are your Super Bowl contenders in the AFC and your Super Bowl contenders in the NFC? Mm-hmm. Super Bowl contenders in the AFC. I mean, Buffalo, I think, is still there despite their little skid. I think they get it together. My, I mean, as long as Josh Allen's healthy. I think I'd say Absolutely. that. Uh, Miami? I would say they're definitely back in Super Bowl contention, especially with how potent their offense is. Their defense has been riding a strong wave as well. I mean, it's not great by any means, but they have weapons and playmakers on that. I would say the Chiefs are there, as usual, just because of how they are right now. I mean, they're performing at an excellent rate. There's not much you could say there, unfortunately. I would say those would be my three for AFC right now. NFC, I mean, you got to go Minnesota. They had their statement win. They're 8-1. and one. You have their, you know, they've, they've really revived with proper coaching. I mean, Mike Zimmer was the one holding them back. They're, they're winning the games they would lose in embarrassing fashion last year. Absolutely. I think a good chunk of their wins are within one score. 
So there is that. You also have, I mean, Philadelphia is still there. I mean, you are eight and one, but still, I mean, you've had some very dominating wins. I mean, very dominating wins. So I would put them in the back. Um, San Francisco is kind of a sleeper right now. They could be a Super Bowl contender. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they really need that offense to gel a little more, and they need to stay healthy, and that's been their biggest issue over some years. That's why they've lost a few years of this playoff window because, if you remember, nine, uh, 2018, 2020, they were wrecked by injury in those years. Yep. So I think it could be like any of those three you right now. So you don't think the Ravens are a Super Bowl contender? The Ravens, they could be. I still don't trust them because they've had a propensity to blow double-digit leads. I mean, I know it's been a couple weeks since it's happened, but it still lingers in the back of my mind. So you're going to need some more time to prove to me that you've corrected that error before you. I consider them a contender. Gotcha. Uh, do you think that the Seahawks will win the NFC West? Ooh, Possibly. I think San Francisco could usurp them. That is the only thing. I mean, I think it's going to be a competition for both. Seattle losing to Tampa Bay was kind of rough because they did look pretty sloppy. But it's... I give I give them the benefit of the doubt. Nine hour time difference. Body clock, that's 630 in the morning for them. So I, I yeah. get it was a, it was a loss that they really couldn't afford per se, but uh, but and Tampa needed just as much to continue the momentum from the Ram game. But I, I cut the Seahawks a break on that. Yeah. They were riding a four-game winning streak, yeah. and they were playing in Germany, a nine-hour time difference from back home in Seattle. I give them a break. Yeah. They, they do have a bye this week, and then they play the Raiders. So Raiders, Rams, Panthers. So that's a good place to bounce back. Absolutely. Do you – who do you think is going to – well, all four – I put it to you like this. Will all four teams from the AFC East make the playoffs? The AFC East? Ooh. That's tough. I mean, I don't think so because I think one of the AFC North teams in Baltimore and Cincy will make it. You think both in the, in the North will make it? Possibly. I mean, the AFC West is a mess. I thought they would be a stronger division. The Chargers are injured to hell. They have a lot of issues in offensive play calling. Justin Herbert is not the same. Combination of injury and offensive play calling. Mm-hmm. And I just don't trust them. The Broncos are a huge disappointment because they have the best defense in the league, but their issues, just like last year, terrible quarterback play and offensive uh, play calling. So it's, it's a mess there, and they're a huge disappointment. And the Raiders I expected to be bad, but not this yes. bad. So, oh, I agree. Yeah, And, li- and literally the only reason why uh, – the only reason why – What's his face? McDaniels is still employed because the Raiders don't have enough money to eat his contract and let him go, which is which is unbelievable. Um, what team do you think will win the AFC North? Ooh, I'll probably go Baltimore right now, just because they have the momentum and like the their defense is really fortified, especially with the acquisition acquisition of Roquan Smith. So I would say. They're a bigger player right now. Cincy, it depends when Jamar Chase gets back because he's a big piece of their offense. They said said that they could anticipate him coming back next week for the Titans game. Mm. But I think realistically it'll probably – yeah, but I think realistically it will be 
probably for Kansas City, ironically enough. So I, I we'll we'll get to the uh, we'll we'll get to the Bengals later. I forgot the one the one last game I wanted to recap was the Vikings and the Bills game. I mean, I'd tell you some right now with Josh Allen. The, the Bills have three things that are going to keep them from playing in their highly dreamed Super Bowl if they don't cut the three things out. McDermott's idiocy. I don't understand why you're going for it on fourth and two at, at the Vikings on seven-yard line when you're up 10 points. Just kick the damn field goal and take the points. Second, their run defense has been not very good over the last few weeks. They gave up over 200 rushing yards to the Green Bay Packers, a buck 75 to the Jets, and they let Dalvin Cook for about 117-ish, 100 uh, 10 plus yards on them on uh, on on Sunday. I understand the 81 yard run was a huge chunk of that, but still giving up 119 yards on the ground is going up 119 yards on the ground to one to one single player. Run defense, McDermott's idiocy, and then lastly, Allen's stupid interceptions. He got away with two bad ones in their win against Green Bay. He had he threw two interceptions against the Jets, one of them, their first drive of the game in the red zone, which killed him. And then after the Bills strip sacked, Zach Wilson got the ball back uh back with them to uh to you know to drive the ball downfield and have an opportunity stole a possession what does josh allen do gives the ball right back throws an interception to sauce gardner and then last week he throws a bad interception on that aforementioned fourth and two play mm-hmm. rolls to his right finds nobody open directly to patrick peterson and then in overtime I don't know what the hell he saw. He gives it to Pat Pete again to put the game on ice when he's got a field goal in his back pocket to tie the game and extend overtime. Yeah, I mean, I think Buffalo is running those plays, especially fourth and two, because they're trying to play call for prime Josh Allen. If Josh Allen's a peak form, he converts that fourth and two. I think that's why they did it, mostly to put the game on ice, bury it away. I get the logic behind it, but Josh Allen has just not been himself for the past couple of weeks. I know a little bit of it does have to do with the potential UCL injury. I know there were rumors of him getting Tommy John, which would have knocked him out for about a year because that's right. roughly what it takes to properly rehab that sort of injury. Um, I know like his red zone performance has been, it's been bad. I mean, if you actually look at his throws in the red zone, they're not even like, you know, really contested throws. They're just like, what are you doing? What are you seeing? Right. Or he's it's, just, or he's just missing. Like, cause like, remember that Miami fourth down, like he was in the red zone. He just flat threw out the ball through, he mm-hmm. underthrew his receiver. And threw it's just like that. Good. That's, that's not Josh Allen. I don't know if it's him trying to be the offense because he's the only catalyst. Like he's trying to play hero ball and it just right. does not work in that situation. It's not only does it doesn't work. It, it, you will be the reason why you guys may have to go, and, and get to a Super Bowl playing three road games instead of yeah. instead of instead of maybe only two and having a wild card weekend off. And then from the Vikings side of things, we briefly discussed them, but back, but specifically with this game, you know, Kirk Cousins he he didn't play great, but he had a heroic performance. Bounced back off of two interceptions, 
I mean, I saw Kirk Cousins, especially in the fourth quarter, throw the ball as well as I've ever seen him in the national fo- in all of his career in the National Football League. Justin Jefferson is just an absolute league of his own as a wide nice. receiver, and they can run and they can run the football as well as anybody in the National Football League. What was your uh, takeaways from the Vi- and then of course, how about their defense? You know, capitalizing on that bot snapped uh, in in the in the end zone, to, which should have, and quite honestly, won the game had not their defense essentially decided to take the drive off on the Bills' ensuing possession. But uh, that was uh, I've never that that by far is was is the hands down best game of the season thus far. I would uh, agree with that. Yeah, it's it's best game of the season, and the Vikings showed to everybody that they belong in the conversation as one of the uh, NFC's best teams. What was your takeaways from the Vikings' performance up at Orchard Park on Sunday? They needed that win. They needed it because they didn't have a legitimate statement win on the year. Their biggest wins of the year were week one Packers, and they always do poorly in week one. And in hindsight, it might be worse because the Packers have lost six of seven. And a Miami Dolphins team that was starting Skylar Thompson. So you didn't have a team that's like, oh, you haven't won against a legitimate team. That was always their knock. They'd like, oh, you're seven and one, but nobody was really talking about them because, you know, haven't beaten anyone legit. They put the NFL on notice with this one because they beat a legitimate team. They beat a real Super Bowl contender and they did it with incredible performances. They did it with, I mean, taking advantage of Buffalo mistakes, for example, this, they, you know, botching a snap on the quarterback sneak on like at the half yard line. I'd say that was just like a whole play that had my jaw drop because I thought Buffalo had that game one. You you had it right there. And you have to consider too Buffalo. I mean, the refs tried to hand the game to Buffalo and in hindsight, because that gave Davis catch in the sideline that shouldn't have counted because by the rule of the law of the NFL, he did not have possession. That's an incomplete pass. And then you also had 12 men on the field on the first and goal. I understand how they missed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the, um, and that would have changed the entire trajectory of the play. I mean, Minnesota might've scored a touchdown on that play or mm-hmm. they might've gotten yardage and Kirk Cousins might not have been sacked on the second play of that, of that goal line stand. So I would say that um, Minnesota also took advantage of a really decimated Buffalo secondary. Remember, no Micah High. Jordan Poyer's been injured for a little bit. Tredavious White still taking some time to recover. I think he's still out for next week. Um, you also have, I think, Jordan Phillips has been banged up with injury, so he hasn't been 100%. Maybe that's why the Vikings rushing attack did do some damage, especially on that big 81-yard run. And it says something when the 81-yard run by Dalvin Cook isn't even in the top five of the biggest place of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that just goes to show just how this complete utter insanity that a football exactly. game was one of the best football exactly. games. Exactly. Yeah, uh, nobody's going to talk about that uh, Stephon Diggs one-handed catch either. And right, I was like, holy shit, how do you do right. that? And I mean, it's like, nope, uh, 10 minutes later, Justin Jefferson has – the catch that's going to be on every NFL promo for the next 10, 15 years. Absolutely. And it was, it is almost as if I said on my show, it's like, it was like watching a frog sit there on a lily pad on a pond somewhere in the swamp and then just seeing their tongue just shoot out to catch a fly. That's what it was like. It was the fun day runners out, runners out, runners out, sticks his hand up and he comes down with the ball. One of the best catches I've ever seen. Uh, Last thing was week 10. Then we'll get to the week 11 games. 
What was your takeaway from the Raiders getting embarrassed by first-time head coach in the National Football League, Jeff Saturday? I mean, A, give me your thoughts on a Saturday hire, whether you liked it or not. And B, what was your takeaway on that football game and just Josh McDaniels' tenure with the Vegas Raiders, which has just been a complete and utter nightmare? All I'm going to say about the Raiders, should have kept Passaccia. You should have kept Passaccia, but uh, I, I, he wouldn't have taken you that far. He'd probably keep you around 500, but he'd have done eons better than what McDaniels is doing. I mean, I, I knew this was going to be a terrible hire from the word go because we've seen Josh McDaniels. He was terrible in Denver. He backed out of Indianapolis, which is honestly karma for McDaniels, considering he lost to a guy who hasn't coached past the high school level and was an ESPN analyst literally days before who was on his couch tweeting that the Raiders look horrible. And then he went out and made the Raiders look horrible. That's that hilarious. is just brilliant trolling. And at this point, I think the Raiders start gutting pieces. I mean, I like Derek Carr. I think he's a solid quarterback. I think he has been really underrated in this league. But this is his last year as a Raider. I think he's getting traded in the offseason. I think the writing's on the wall. I think, like, this is probably the most embarrassing loss in Raiders history. You lose to a guy who's pretty much a yes man for Jim Ursay. That's why you hired him. He, he's friends with Ursay, and he just wanted a placeholder, somebody to dick, uh, do the will of Jim Ursay. I mean, he was the one – Ursay was the one – that wanted Ryan benched for Sam Ellinger. And then he wants to look like the hero. Oh, we'll bring Matt Ryan back in. You're giving up 30 yard quarterback sneak or runs to Matt Ryan, who is a statue in the pocket. That's embarrassing. what are you doing? This is terrible. The whole team. And is I know the they're banged up. I know they don't have Waller or Hunter Renfro, but they've been disappointments this year. Yeah, you, I mean, you brought in Devontae Adams. You traded all of these futures. I mean, I think they still have their first round pick this year. I think they gave up their first last year. But it's still a very damning testament to what they're doing. And what's coming out now is that they can't fire Josh McDaniels because they're cash poor. And that makes sense because Mark Davis is one of the uh, – the poorest owners in the NFL in terms of net worth and most of his net worth and liquid liquidity is tied up in the bank of America loan for the stadium that they built. So I, I think that's actually accurate. They can't fire him because there's nothing they can do. And the only they reason why John, pay him. Yeah. The they only reason. Why, yeah. They can't pay him the severance. Uh, the only reason why John Gruden was able to go was because he, he resigned. He got fired for cause. So they didn't have to pay him whatever was left in his contract. And it was right. a big sum. So uh, they just amplified one mistake with an even bigger one because they want to skin the Patriots alive. Well, uh, as you can learn from the lions and the Texans and the Browns and the chiefs and the jets and a few other teams that doesn't work. Never does. That is there insanity is doing the same damn thing over and over again, expecting different results. Here's what I need to know about Josh McDaniels and his last 31 games as a head coach. He's seven and 24, <laughs> seven and 24. Uh, and he had and a seven and oh start. <laughs> ridiculous. Absolutely nuts. Uh, let's get to these week 12 games. We will begin 
with uh, a little something different. Let's do the uh, e- let's do the Eagles and the Colts first. Uh, the Eagles coming off of their uh, loss against Washington on Monday night, first home game for Jeff Saturday Saturday as an NFL head coach. Uh, do you, th- you just the Eagles have to bounce back and just kick the Colts' teeth? in, no, I, I you you better. I mean. This is the bounce back game, and this is the perfect opponent to do it against. Shaq Leonard's now out for the year for the Colts, so they lose a huge chunk of their defense right there. He just had back surgery. I think the Colts won that game because I think that said a lot more about the Raiders than it actually did the Colts. So I think there's that. And if the Eagles don't win by at least two scores, I would call that a failure on their part. Uh, I, I 100% agree. The Jets and the Patriots. Well, first of all, do you were you what was your stance on the Ursay hire? I'm interested. Do you think that it was a joke and a disgrace to the profession as your as your beloved uh, city's coach Bill Cowher said it was? Or did you say, eh, yes, yeah, temporary. It's only for the rest of the season. You know, they're, they're done anyway. They're not making the playoffs. I win a division. What the hell? Take a chance. Uh, the way I see it, as I said, Jim Ursay wanted a yes man. He wanted somebody who was going to do his bidding. And if you're a real head coach, you don't want that job. The Colts are a train wreck right now. They are a shit show of shit shows. They have, they're a team built for Andrew Luck and they haven't had Andrew Luck. You've had constant shuffling and like pushing through a hamster wheel. I wouldn't want that job, but I mean, I get it's a slap in the face to everyone who's worked there, but welcome to life. Every, every person has dealt with a situation where you're worthy of a promotion, but you get fucked over and they hire someone else from the outside. I've dealt with it many times. I'm yep. sorry. That's just how the world works. It's about who you know. And if you're chummy with people, it's not about merit. It's never been about merit. Dude. And, and the fact that people are trying to go on this moral high horse when you're the NFL going off about it, it it's a very buddy-buddy league. I think that's rich. So you know what? I mean, it's your business. You run it the way you want to. If you want to run it into the ground, be my guest. <laughs> Brilliant take on your part. I 100% agree. Um, with the Jets and the Patriots, first off, have you where have you assessed the Jets in their 6-3 and three start? They've beaten Buffalo. They've beaten uh, – uh, they've uh, beaten the um, – the Packers this year, they've they've had a not a lot of impressive wins. Their defense has played tremendously well. They're able to run the football. Zach Wilson yes. outside of the Patriots games played pretty well. Uh, where is your assessment on the Jets through their first nine games? And do you agree with my sentiment in that this is a game that the Jets, ha- although their quality, their level of opponent is not difficult because the Jets on paper are a better team one through 53 than the New England Patriots are. But just for the sake of just washing the taste out of their loss a few weeks, go out of their mouths and for the psyche of the franchise and the psyche of the Jet fan, this is a game that the Jets have to win up against the Patriots this weekend. I would say they have to win if only to get rid of the old reputation of the Jets can't beat New England. They have been pretty much two free wins for the Patriots since 2016-ish, maybe even earlier than that. So that that's always the boogeyman they've had. They cannot beat Bill Belichick. And I'd say it's a must win for that reason, just for 
you know, morals and optics. I mean, mm -hmm. even if you're six and four, you'll be okay. I mean, right. you have Chicago next week, even though that's not going to be an easy one. Uh, Zach Wilson has to show something, especially in terms of reading defenses. Like his last game against New England was just a dud. Like it was bad. Terrible. Like it was, it was Patrick Mahomes without any football savvy whatsoever, trying to dance around and just, oh, oh there's a really easy pick. I'm just in there. I think it was his third pick, like in the third quarter. He just like yeah. lobbed it to a defender. I'm just in there like, oh my Devin God, McCord, what yeah. are you doing? And I'm just, it's, it's more for the optics. New England, you have to win mostly just to prove that your offense is puke. Mac Jones has regressed big time. And Absolutely. the only reason why you won against Indianapolis a couple weeks ago was because you were playing Indianapolis. They were just a mess. Mm -hmm. No offensive line. Sam Ellinger was just, it had no time in the pocket and was completely overmatched. Jonathan Taylor could do nothing. It, it just turned into just a, just a mess. And absolutely so, I, I, I mean, this is what happens when you have Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running an offense. You have two hacks who don't know anything about the offensive side of the game, <laughs> and you are ruining the guy you invested the first round pick in. So, you know what? I'll enjoy it, but uh, I'd say it's must win for both teams if you want to be completely honest for their playoff ambitions. That's a, that's a fair point. I, I, excellent job. Excellent. Uh... Uh, uh, argument on your part. Uh, the where do you? I won't break down the game, but the Denver Broncos have just been absolutely offensive to the senses. They have the worst scoring offense in the National Football League, and Russell Wilson has the twenty eighth. He's ranked twenty eighth in passer rating quarterbacks this year in twenty twenty two. They are boring. They're a complete eyesore to watch. He has no pocket presence. He doesn't sprint out of the pocket and to extend plays and run for first downs like he used to. I, he's, he, they're, they're boring, they're lethargic, and they're just they're a waste of my damn time football team. Nathaniel Hackett doesn't know which way is up from way back week one against the Seahawks all up to this point with their loss last Sunday against the Tennessee Titans. They're just a complete mess. And, uh, and I actually picked this team to somehow – make the playoffs based on what exactly they don't I had them the winning the division <laughs> it's even worse just it's just terrible they can't run the football Russell Wilson is washed and their coach has no idea which way is up so what well, what's what's been your assessment of the 2022 Denver Broncos Nathaniel Hackett it's it's bad like this is probably the worst head coach we've seen since Freddie Kitchens this is a dude who's completely overmatched he's come out and said he doesn't know what he's doing remember week two or three they brought in a game plan manager or like a clock manager so he didn't piss it away remember week one they had two minutes left on the clock they sit around don't call their timeouts they have two of them left and they just say fuck it kick a 64 yard field goal and pretty much piss away their chances of winning uh, like a winnable game at the time against Seattle and that has been their season all throughout the year that defense has been lights out they are the best defense in the league that's why I had them winning the division because if you look at them last year really solid two-headed running game their offensive line have been developing their defense won them three games single-handedly and when you bring in Russell Wilson it's like oh that's easy you know they're gonna win the division this year Russell Wilson has been bad. Like he has been just, um, I, there have been allegations of him running Seattle's offense or Seattle's like audibles apparently, but um, that they've come out and say that's kind of fake. So I don't know if it's real or not, but uh, I mean, 
Nathaniel Hackett just has no answers. He's overmatched. He's probably done at the end of the year. I I, I do not see him going another year. This Nor should he. He, this is like how he was in 2018. I remember him like as the offensive play caller against the Steelers, against the Jags. He was a terrible play caller. All he was doing was running like like halfback draw, like halfback like uh, power plays when they have a defensive line, you were up by like 13 and they blew that game because of terrible offensive play calling uh, that game got Hackett fired. And I, uh, the, the narrative that's starting to run around of him being brought in to try and lure Aaron Rodgers to Denver is starting to gain more and more credence. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, when you're, Rogers when you're, yes, ma'am. Well, yeah, pretty much like you're, you're, you're an offensive coordinator in green Bay. No, no, no. LaFleur and Rodgers are calling those plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not doing shit. <laughs> and, and, and like, well, it's the same situation you were in last year, but now you don't have a first round pick for the next two years. And you're locked into a Russell Wilson who looks like ass. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, I, I, you're, you're screwed. You're, you're all- screwed. <laughs> and Seattle sitting there laughing to the bank because they might have a top five pick. Mm-hmm. And also make the playoffs win the division yes. <laughs> at the same time. Him and Philadelphia. Philadelphia might win the Super Bowl and get a top five pick. They might That's get ridiculous. Will Anderson. That's crazy. Uh, uh, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to be Howie Roseman and John Snyder right now? Uh, t- Russell. And the Wilson. sad part is, and the sad part is, Howie Roseman was doing a horrible job until like the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to get fired. And he re- and he basically revived himself. He he and the Seattle Seahawks GM basically in the same boat. Guys that built championship football teams, the expiration date came, they hung around, should have been fired, weren't, and they ended up and they ended up flipping the script. And now all of a sudden they got two teams, one of them who's created a roster that most likely could go to the Super Bowl, and then another one that drafted a crap ton of rookies last year and all and every single one of them damn near all of them look like pro bowlers so it just goes to show you how funny nfl is and russell wasn't running around talking about here are all the dangerous ways the danger witch and and let's ride and uh and, and uh, here comes the airplane one of those here <laughs> comes the airplane <laughs> oh dude that's just gonna be mocked to hell and back and i love it talking about doing a high knees real danger a- which was the friends we met along the way yes <laughs> it's easy boy i have there has to be, and i mean that's the and hilarity is that he's getting mocked by everybody people on just the people on social media you and me the people that work in actual media on radio and television freaking justin tucker's on the plane from tampa bay talking about i heard lamar's gonna lead us and i needs raven's let's fly which is just hilarious like the dude has like become a literal laughing stock and i i just couldn't enjoy it more partly because my brother is a seahawks fan circa 2012 but let's leave that alone uh so he uh, so after like a decade of that boy russ and russell wilson this and russell wilson that now of a sudden it's like he's 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 collapsed and his career is just gone to shit. I I I, I couldn't I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier. Uh, uh, let's do. We got a few more games here. Then we'll uh, let you go. Three more to be uh, specific. 
the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers, 425 for CBS. This game was originally scheduled for Sunday Night Football. Why? I have no idea. Uh, because everybody knew that the Pittsburgh Steelers weren't going to be that good of a team. Uh, they uh, this flexed year. it, though, so. Yeah, they yeah. flex. They, they, uh, flex. I mean, they, they had some hype going into the year. I mean, they made the playoffs last year and they thought, oh, maybe they can run the table again if they get some lucky breaks like last year. So that's probably what they were thinking. But you and I both know that that playoff uh, run. Oh, it was, it was a hardcore fluke. They, they fluked away to like six wins last year. <laughs> Crazy. Stylish guy, shit. <laughs> oh, there goes Super Bowl. Come on. Come on. Wave them towels. We got TJ Watt back. <laughs> We, we, we beat a totally decimated and dead Saints team last year. We're going Super Bowl. Uh, speaking of Super Bowl, it looks like it'll take a miracle from God himself for my Bengals to get back. It, it, Zach Taylor, my audience knows how I feel about that, man. It's just been an utter disgrace. I mean, we can talk week one with the dopey long snapper, Joe Burrow with the interceptions, the offensive line being the equivalent of Swiss cheese. We can talk about week two. They couldn't muster up any offense against the Dallas Cowboys and allow Cooper Russ to look like Roger Staubach. We can talk, uh, you know, the damn shuffle pass and then going forward on fourth and goal against the Ravens yes. on that Sunday night, mm-hmm. which which I was in the building. I was there. Okay. I, I was just absolutely livid watching that, watching that debacle. And then they allowed Lamar Jackson to run a two-minute drill march right down the field, getting Tucker field goal range, who never misses. And then the debacle on Halloween night where – Oh, Cleveland. If you can, try to put in the words what the hell I've seen from my Cincinnati Bengals throughout their first half of the season, because they're not a good five and four. They are a hitch and knees. Thank you. Lucky stars that they're five and four, I, I, five and four last year compared to five and four this year are two totally different feelings, especially when you got this hard ass schedule we have coming out in the second half of the year. We've had no Jamar Chase the last few games. Mm-hmm. We have no Jadobia Woozy for the rest of the year since the, yep. since the Cleveland game with the torn ACL yep. and Jonah Williams is a turnstile at left tackle. And Zach Taylor has somehow regressed to 2020 form because you talk about the high-end talent with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, I saw nothing but high-end talent outside of a couple games. Bell is out last year where Zach Taylor, you know, was out the lunch. And all of a sudden, here I come to save the day. It's mm-hmm. Jamar Chase and company. The Bengals have just been an utter disgrace. What, what have you taken from this season thus far? You made that Super Bowl last year in spite of Zach Taylor, not because of him. If you think about it, you made the Titans lost that game in that divisional round because Brian Tannehill, like that should have been the end of your season there. And then Kansas city got cocky. They blew that lead. And unfortunately they couldn't seal the deal against the Rams. And now we have to deal with the corporate super bowl. And now they've gone to absolute shit. And all they have to do is point, all they have to do is point to the ring. Now. I mean, they're in absolute hell. Nobody cares on that team. Their first round pick is Detroit's property. They don't care. Ring. That's all they do. But with the Bengals, was Jamar Chase that entire offense? Because they have not been the same since he's been gone. And I I dare say this game is must win for the Bengals. Oh, it is. Because a divisional game. B, you have to keep pace with the Ravens. C, you have to prove that week one was just a fluke. I mean, Steelers are 
for a beatable team on paper. They don't have an offense. Matt Canada is absolute trash as a coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny Pickett is showing strides, but he's not there yet. Like it, he's shown like stride, like flashes of being a starting caliber QB. Can he be like elite? I don't know. I mean, I hope he does. I really loved him at Pitt, but I think he still needs time to be able to read defenses and get out of that fire being thrown into against some of the best defenses in football. I would say um, Joe Mixon has to play a big role. Mm-hmm. I'd say Burrow is um, – you have to get the stench out of your mouth from uh, from the Cleveland game. You have to. That's If you don't, then um, you're in trouble. Let me no, look I, up their it's a gauntlet. Spoiler alert, it's a damn gauntlet. And let me tell you, they don't win Sunday. You can – you can shut the door. You can close the season. You can end the season. Their season is over. Finish through Kaput. You can yeah. give the Ravens mm-hmm. the 2022 division. Yeah. If oh, they yeah. don't win, so, if tight- they don't win Sunday, they're done. They're yeah, done. You've got Titans, Titans in Tennessee. The Chiefs, the Browns are your easiest opponent, but they will have Deshaun Watson back. Tampa Bay, New England, Buffalo, and Baltimore. Ooh, that's uh, that's a tough schedule. I know the Steelers have a bit of a soft underbelly coming up in terms of their schedule, but once again, you still have Indy, you have the Falcons, so this is your underbelly of the schedule. Then you have the Ravens, Panthers, the Raiders, Ravens, and Browns. So you could go on a run, but I doubt it. Yep. I, I don't a, know. And it's, and it's just like I can't, like, take them big time other people can't. I'm not. They're 0-3 within their own damn division. They're 0-3 within yep. their own division. And that's going to be what kills you. If you're 0-3, if you get 0-4 in your division, those are pretty much count as double games because they count as tiebreakers, especially yep. in games like that. I mean, you had a game against the Browns, you pissed away. I'm sorry. You had a game against the Ravens, you pissed away. You had a game against the Steelers, you pissed away. Although that was more because of a backup long snapper, but still. And, it, and it's, it's like, and, and it's the fact that if you beat, if you don't embarrass yourself against Cleveland, you don't embarrass yourself against Pittsburgh, you find a way to win against the Cowboys, the Ravens loss doesn't look so bad. And realistically speaking, the Ravens loss is the only game I, I said it to myself walking out of the stadium that Sunday night. I said, th- and on my show, I said, there's no shame in losing to the Ravens. There's no shame in losing to Lamar Jackson. They're a good football team. The problem is, is that you, is that the losing to the good football teams and the good quarterbacks sting a little bit more also because of the fact it was a rivalry game, but they sting a little bit more because you shat your pants against Cleveland and you couldn't beat Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys. So the Ravens loss in week five is a little bit more significant because of the fact that you lost a winnable divisional game week one, and week two, you out the lunch again against the Dallas Cowboys. And then Halloween night, you you make Jacoby, Jacoby Brissett look like Otto Graham, and you allow the Cleveland Browns rush defense, one of the worst rushing defenses in the National Football League, he can't run a damn lick. 
as if as if you expected Joe Burrow to drop back to throw it 50 times with no Jamar Chase, and then there's Miles Garrett sitting there on the side with a pit, with a piss poor left tackle. So it's 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 disgusting, you know. They and they wait and they sleep and they've slept walk and they fought it around and they are unenthused, lack of inspiration. They they come out deadheaded way too many times that I've seen in this game, and it's like all of a sudden in the fourth quarter or which second half. Well, it turns around, then all of a sudden they flip on a switch and expect to basically win a game that they should have against a team who they should have been kicking their ass right from the opening kick. And Zach Taylor, I'm sorry, takes a lot of the blame for that. He's the head coach. If you're not coaching it, you're condoning it. And a lot of the crap I've seen from him this season is incompetence and him condoning this foolishness because there is no reason. The, the, The softest part of our schedule was the first half. We should honestly be honestly be eight and one the only loss i'll give you is the ravens and that's game we should have won we should have beaten cleveland we should have beaten pittsburgh we should have beaten dallas we should be we should be eight and one but and we're not we should be two and we should be two and one at the worst within our division but we're not we and the only only saving grace with us being five and four is the fact that is the is is the teams that we've beaten in the AFC outside of the division, the teams that we've beaten, we have tiebreaker over if we don't end up winning the division, and it could be a, a favor for us come wild card. And that's the Jets who played Joe Flacco, uh, and not and not uh, and not uh, 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 Zach Wilson, and then the uh, and then the Miami Dolphins when Tua got hurt in the second half. So it's. Yep. It's, if I tell you, they don't win Sunday. You might as well cl- close up shop and call the season over, shut down Jamar Chase for the rest of the season, and and just make sure that you have a damn good 2023. That's a, and it's not like all hope is lost if if they if they don't make if they don't make it Super Bowl this season or don't make the playoffs this season. It's just you know it's, it's a gut punch because it is you were expecting to go far. Yep, and it's and it's bye bye to Jesse Bates, who more likely than not will probably will be out the door at the end of this season. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a shame. It, it it really is a shame because it. And I say, and people ask me, well, Jai, do you want Bates back? Because you know he got X player this and player that that you got to pay down the road. I said, if we just if we win a Super Bowl with Jesse on the team, I have no problem with him going. Because as long if if he is a part of the team winning Super Bowl, that's what I want. Because he's earned his keep, he played well in the postseason last year, and he's a very good safety. I want him here when we went when we win the Super Bowl. But it looks like mm-hmm. it, it would honestly take a miracle, a miracle of miracles, for us to steal the division from the Ravens and make another and make another deep run. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't. You can call me pessimistic. I don't see it. I see that I see a nine and eight football team that if they're lucky. I don't even think that they'll happen, but get the seventh seed and probably, you know, f- and fizzle out in the first round. Cause that, cause mm-hmm. that, that's what I've seen. I can only go off to the body of work that I've seen. And on paper, this is a much better roster than the team that made it to the Super Bowl last year. And it's like, now it's like, this is what you guys are giving me here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been, a, it's been a mess, an absolute mess. The Vikings and the Cowboys, second to last game. We briefly touched on it earlier in the segment. This is the game the Cowboys have to have 
and will the momentum of that emotional victory against the Bills last week carry over for Minnesota coming up on Sunday? I think so. I think they have a strong, like, core of a team. I think, like, Dallas is still reeling from that loss. I think the Vikings can pull this out, especially at home. How do you you count on, excuse me, with the Dallas Cowboys secondary, and do you expect the Dallas to play better against uh, Minnesota? Because if they don't, it's going to be a long day for them, especially with their secondary and how. With with uh, Jefferson – I mean, eh, you also have to worry about Dalvin Cook. And um, I don't know, man. I I really don't know. I don't – I mean, I really think Minnesota can pull this one out. It's just just a hunch I have. I think so, too. And I think Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott anyway, but I agree with that as well. Well, Uh, I mean, the the deriding nickname for Dak Prescott is the Black Kirk Cousins. So (laughs) – that's funny and uh, and you see uh and you see apparently daniel jones's new nickname is a uh, vanilla what, vanilla vic, vic. <laughs> yeah, i yeah. like i like danny derps that that's a better nickname eh, he's not danny derps this year he's seeing the game well so last game before we get you out of here 820 sunday night game chiefs and chargers Chiefs, if they win this game, by the way, well, going back to the Vikings with the Packers lost last night, they could the Vikings could have the division wrapped up come Thanksgiving at eight mm-hmm. if they win and go in and nine the Packers and one, lose, and they could have the division wrapped up by Thanksgiving. But to Sunday night game, the Chiefs could honestly be in that same boat, not to you know, in about a few weeks' time with a seven and two record. And the Chargers, who are keeping their heads above water at five and four, this is a must-win game for the Chargers to avoid the season sweep at Kansas City. Uh, they beat the, Kansas City came into uh, LA back in December last year on that Thursday night, and they beat them in heartbreaking fashion in overtime. This is a must-win for the Los Angeles Chargers. You you would agree with that? I would, but I don't know if they're going to, especially with all the issues they have right now. They have had three games that they should have lost, but only escaped by because the other teams just unable to capitalize on it. Remember Cleveland, they went for it on fourth and two at their own 45. Got they away with couldn't it. get it done. They got away with that because Kate York missed a field goal. The Denver game, Brandon Staley didn't use any of his timeouts on that final drive. Got away with it because they were playing Denver. Then Atlanta. They kept linging them in the game. They kept pissing away a lot of opportunities. And remember, they got away with it because the defender decided to try and juke out a defender and then lost the ball and allowed them to kick the game-winning field goal. So it's a fraudulent five and four that they really are. I think, like, with all their injuries, I mean, if you look at their defensive interior, their defensive lines, three of their defensive tackles are out to season-ending injuries. Austin Johnson was out last week. You had Christian Covington. He's out as well. Otto Ogbania. They're all out due to injuries. Joey Bosa isn't going to be back anytime soon. JC Jackson was out having issues. Season. He's out for the year. Christian, I'm um, sorry. I'm um, Rashawn Slater. I was going to call him yeah. Christian Slater. Rashawn <laughs> Slater, starting left tackle. I mean, say, uh, Tremaine Saylor has done a fantastic job, especially as a sixth round pick as their left tackle. But losing Slater is huge. Unfortunately, Justin Herbert has not been the same. He's like still dealing with injury. And if you look at his yards per attempt over the past month, it's 5.5. That is terrible. That is a check down magnet. Their only Mm -hmm. options on offense are 
Chuck Dawson, Eckler, or Curl routes. Like they are very, a very uninspired offense. I think if they miss the playoffs, I think Staley might get fired. They might shoot for Sean Payton. As he should stand. And honestly, I, I don't think the Chargers win this just because they're so banged up. I would agree. And I had a chance to beat him in week two, and Staley pissed that game away as well. So um, same I mean, foolishness. Herbert just had a bad pass. I mean, but looking at it, but looking at it this way, if he takes, I believe it was Mike Williams off the field, who was waving to come out because he was winded. Staley pays attention, calls the timeout, takes him out. Williams doesn't have a half-assed effort on that on the on the play that was called, and maybe the pick and maybe the pick six doesn't even happen. But uh, we'll ne- we will never know. Quickly on the World Series. What was your takeaways? Dusty finally got his ring. My guy, Trey Mancini, has his ring after mm-hmm. surviving cancer two years ago. Do you? Uh, absolutely. Did you agree with uh, Thompson's decision to take Wheeler out of the game? And what was your overall takeaways from the uh, World Series that we had about a week or so, about two weeks ago? He should have learned from Scott's service. He threw in a lefty when Yordan crushes lefties. It was a fastball middle-middle. I mean, any hitter worth his salt is going to destroy that pitch. So I would say that's Robbie Thompson. And I mean, at the end of the day, they kind of won that World Series in spite of Dusty. He pissed away games one and three by leaving his pitchers in too long. So, (laughs) I mean, you know what? I'm happy for him. He did have a World Series. This is his first one in 40 years because he won one as a player in 81 for the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I mean, I'll congratulate him, but it's like, eh, okay. I mean, the, he seems like an outstate. He seems like the kind of dude who I would just love to have a, a couple beers with and hear his stories about the game. I mean, he <laughs> has to be a, a wonderful guy to talk to. But just like in-game management, he has just has never been his forte. It yeah. just hasn't. Absolutely. The Andy Reid of Major League Baseball's finally got his rank in some way. Uh, yes. Yeah, do you uh, does this change the way you look at the Astros post the cheating scandal five years ago? Mm, I mean, they they won it fair and square. I know a lot of people are going to say like, "Oh, they cheated again," and it's like it's bullshit. But it's like they they were a machine. Their 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 Cy Young award winning pitcher Justin Verlander had a Tommy John in 2020. We thought he was never going to pitch again. He's pitching like he did in Detroit. You have a core of really solid, well-built players. Jose Altuve can still hit the rock. Alex Bregman can still hit the rock. Jordan Alvarez hits bombs. Kyle Tucker has been really solid. Jeremy Pena has been very good. I know um, this is the end for Yuli Gurriel here, but he was still pretty good in this time. They have a very underrated starting rotation of Christian Javier, Frambar Valdez, Jose Arquiti, guys like that. Their bullpen has been lights out the whole way. So they are a well-built team and they are kind of a shit show if you think about it, because their GM got low-balled on a one-year extension. He chose to leave and Jim Crane is kind of a meddler, but they, they were a machine. And I just got to applaud him for it. Who do you think will win the Aaron judge sweepstakes? Ooh, all I'm going to say is this. If the Yankees do not come up with him, that fan base is going to riot. And I mean, to be fair, I'm going to ask you, would you sign Aaron Judge to a seven or eight year deal with $40 million per year? As an Orioles fan, would I want him? Yes. Uh, and on that contract. Because that's what it's probably going to take.
I would probably. I see, I, I see you thinking. I'm, I see you yeah, thinking. <laughs> part of well, part part of me wants him on the team just to piss off the Yankee fan. Part of me just wants like him in the black and orange as an Oriole just to piss off the Yankee fan. But the fact that we got a lot of young talent in the outfield with Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins and Kyle Stowers who came up this season and Anthony Santander, who probably will be a part of this, the uh, playoff contending core, who's been on, who's had trade talks, but Orioles are like kind of want to keep him because they he's because he's a switch hitting uh switch hitting corner outfielder who can hit who can hit 30 plus home runs in a sleep which which is hard to come by uh so i pro- the the for the spite of the yankee fan i would want him but i would kind of hang back because i would rather have that money go to somebody like adley rutchman when it's come time to get his mm-hmm. money or somebody else yeah. or if they're going to spend big money in free agency i would rather spend it and build up the left side of the infield and possibly get bring trey turner in or get a veteran a starting pitcher to kind of anchor the rotation with the addition of Grayson Rodriguez to the 40 man roster, John means coming off of Tommy John, Kyle Bradish, you know, and guys like that. So if they're going to, I want them to take, I want them to use their money and spend it on big time players to fill up holes that will help the major league roster specifically left side of the infield and the starting rotation. Mm-hmm. That's how, that's how I feel I, about I, it. I really think they're going to uh, – there'll be players in this uh, pre-agency class. I don't think it's going to be judged. If uh, Speaking of your question, though, I think he either goes three choices, San Francisco, Texas, or the Rain, or the Yankees. I don't know if it's going to be any other choice. You don't think the Mets will try to get him? Nah, I don't know. I think they're going to be – they're more interested in trying to keep Nemo. Gotcha. What do you think DeGrom will end up? Probably Texas. I would say the Rangers. I think they're going to throw big money at him. Wow. Tree did a phenomenal job, huh? Good to uh, have you, you on. Recap Week 10 National Football League preview Week 11 uh, and, re- and the recap of the uh, Titans-Packers game last night and a little bit of baseball to uh, close out the segment. You can follow him on Twitter at Urinating Tree. I think Twitter is still up. I don't think uh, Elon Yeah, I think it's, it's still up. But it's, have, it's still up for now. Yeah, I think Elon Musk and the fellas have uh, said goodnight over in uh, California. And you can also subscribe to his YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash urinating tree. Also co-host of the Dumpster Fire uh, show with uh, uh, Five Points Vids. And also he is a commentator on uh, Clickbait Sports, a, a weekly show that you can check out uh, with him. Uh, five Points Grossy and I think Perna's a part of that show. Am I correct on that? It's all for yes, you. Yes, Perna is. Yes, uh, Perna uh, and Scooter. Perna, Scooter Magruder, uh, five points, and uh, Grossy. And Grossy right now is probably wallowing in his pain as Packers finish. <laughs> but oh, uh, he was he was talking all this smack for the past couple of years. So you know what? Oh well. I mean, I feel really bad because, as I said, misery brings attention, and he's going to be breaking a lot of money. I'm not really feeling bad for him. Welcome to how I felt after the Cleveland game in 2021.
crazy. Absolutely ridiculous. That is it for your knitting tree. And we'll be back with the Amatelica TIS podcast. The week 11 picks is next. We thank Urinating Tree for coming back on and making his presence felt on the Amatelic TIS podcast. Well, it's about that time. Week 11 in the National Football League. In the league where they play. The Bay. We will start off with the Los Angeles Rams, who are four-point underdogs against the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are three and seven. The Rams are three and six. Rams lost last time out under the guidance of John Wolford, who was the uh, backup quarterback starting in place of Matthew Stafford, who was out with concussion. Matthew Stafford was given the thumbs up to go for the Rams on Sunday. Meanwhile, the Saints coming off of a 20-10 underwhelming uh, performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers up at Heinz Field last Sunday. Give me the Rams to bounce back and win this game by the final score of 24-21. The Cleveland Browns head to Detroit, not Buffalo, Detroit. Why? The lake effect blizzard that has hit up that has hit uh, northwestern New York uh, as a result of lake effect snow. The game moved to Detroit at Ford Field. The Lions on the road against the football giants this week, which makes Ford Field available. So Cleveland and Buffalo in Detroit couldn't move the game to Monday or Tuesday since Buffalo was playing uh, in Detroit against the Lions on Thanksgiving Day. Buffalo Bills coming off of a heartbreaking loss last week at the hands of the Minnesota Vikings. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Browns coming back from getting uh, curb stomped at the uh, hands of two attack Valoa and the Miami Dolphins. Buffalo Bills are eight and a half point favorites. Give me the Buffalo Bills to bounce back and win this game by the final score of 35 to 13. The Philadelphia Eagles are six and a half point favorites going up against the Indianapolis Colts. The Eagles coming off of their first loss of the season at the hands of the Washington Commanders on Monday Night Football earlier in the work week. Meanwhile, the Indianapolis Colts are coming off of their impressive uh, victory over the Vegas Raiders last Sunday and uh, Jeff Saturday's first win in his first game as an NFL head coach. The Colts are 4-5-1, taking on the 8-1 Eagles. Philadelphia's six-and-a-half-point favorites give me the Philadelphia Eagles to win in bounce-back fashion. By the, no doubt, Goddard, by the way, as well, with the injured shoulder. He is placed on IR and will miss some time. Give me the Eagles to win this game by the final score of 35-17. The aforementioned Washington Commanders are three-point favorites taking on the Houston Texans. The Texans taking the Houston Texans home coming off of their loss at the hands of the football giants. Meanwhile, Washington, the aforementioned upset victory over the Eagles. Washington's three-point favorites, giving the Washington Commanders to win this game by the final score of 23-16. Moving things ahead with the New York Jets, who are three-point underdogs taking on the New England Patriots. The Patriots were off last week on a bye. 
coming off of their uh, Week 9 victory over the Indianapolis Colts at home. Meanwhile, the Jets, they're coming off of a bye week as well. Last time out, Week 9, they got, they got business done against Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills at home, as the Jets look to split the New England, the New England Patriots in a 2022 season series and trying to end their uh, snide against the Bill Belichick coach Patriots team. Give me the New York Jets to bounce back and finally beat the New England Patriots by the final score of 23-13. The Detroit Lions are at East Rutherford, New Jersey to take on the New York football Giants. The Giants, three-point favorites coming off of their victory last week over the Houston Texans. And the Detroit Lions coming off of their second straight victory, their first road victory, in about two seasons, they're three and six. The Giants are seven and two. I expect the Giants to keep on their winning ways as they head into Thanksgiving down at Jerry World uh, uh, in, in six days' time. Give me the New York Football Giants to win this game by the final score of 28 to 21. The Carolina Panthers are 12 point underdogs taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Panthers uh, took care of business against the Atlanta Falcons in Week 10 on Thursday night football in the rain. Meanwhile, the Ravens coming off a bye. Their last game, Week 9, Monday night against the Saints. They took care of business and, and did a tremendous job in padding their lead in the AFC North. Ravens come off of a bye, and they had, felt like the Ravens hadn't, had a, haven't played a, a home game in quite some time. You got to go all the way back to week seven on October the 23rd when they beat Cleveland by a field goal 23 to 20, the Ravens' last home game. I expect the Ravens to win big over the Carolina Panthers by the final score of 34 to 10. Keep things rolling with the Chicago Bears, who are three point underdogs, taking on the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons coming off the aforementioned Thursday night loss at the hands of the Carolina Panthers in Chicago, riding a three-game losing streak, albeit their offense has played quite well. They lost last week in an absolute shootout to the uh, Detroit Lions by a field goal by the final score of 31-30. I will take the Chicago Bears to go off the side and win this game by the final score of 35-21. Keep things rolling. The Vegas Raiders. Two and a half point underdogs coming off of their embarrassing loss at the hands of the uh, Indianapolis Colts at home last week. The Denver Broncos, two and a half point favorites coming off of their week nine loss at the hands of the Tennessee Titans. Give me the Denver Broncos to somehow, some way, find a way to win the battle of mid in the AFC West by the final score of 17 to 7. The Dallas Cowboys are favored by a point. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me why they're favored by a point, but they are. Coming off of their overtime loss, blowing a 28-14 lead to the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. Mike McCarthy's return heading into Minnesota to take on a Minnesota Vikings team that is flying, currently riding in with an 8-1 record. Uh, the best record that the Vikings have had in quite some time. Cowboys 6-3 need this game to keep pace in the NFC wildcard chase. And the Vikings need this game to keep pace with the Philadelphia Eagles 
whom they hold whom they hold tiebreaker over in terms of best record in the National Football Conference. Give me Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings to get the job done in a 28-24 classic. My Cincinnati Bengals are four and a half point favorites coming off of a bye. Beat the living piss and curb stomped the uh, Carolina Panthers two weeks ago. Meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the New Orleans Saints by 10 points last week. They return to Pittsburgh and get the bad week one uh, overtime loss out of their mouth. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers to pull off the upset in 26 degree weather, no less, by the final score of 17 to 14. We move things ahead with the Kansas City Chiefs, who are uh, six and a half point favorites, taking on the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium. Chargers took care of business against the Jags at Arrowhead last week. Meanwhile, the Chargers back to back Sunday night games. This is the game that was flexed in in place of Baltimore, excuse me, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. The Chargers lost last time out at the hands of the San Francisco 49ers on the road last week, giving the Kansas City Chiefs the bounce back and win this game by the final score of 35 to 21. And the San Francisco 49ers, who are eight-point favorites, taking on the Atlanta Cardinals, give me the uh, give me the Arizona Cardinals to lose this game by the final score of 31-21. And those are your week 11 picks against the spread. If you haven't already, check out Urinating Tree on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Urinating Tree. Go ahead and follow him on Twitter as you will, or if you will, at Urinating Tree. And follow me on Twitter as well while it's still up uh, at the moment at the J Shield and Instagram as well at the J Shield. And if it's your. First experience listening to the I'm Like a TIS podcast, please, and I hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram, like I said, at the aforementioned handles, and I will talk to you guys on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. See you.